0: Hello, this is Patrick Ball. How are you on this fine day? Welcome to On The Fly, a podcast about whatever comes to mind, really. In this episode, The Car Radio. It's possible that your next new car won't have the option to switch between AM and FM radio. Many automakers are now choosing to exclude AM radio from their latest models. Among them, BMW, Mazda, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Tesla have either already removed or plan to remove AM radio from at least some electric models. Ford is going even further, reports the Detroit Free Press Press and ditching AM in all new cars, gas or electric. Auto manufacturers typically cite electromagnetic interference as the reason for removing the radios from EVs. Electric motors can interfere with the AM radio frequencies, making it sound staticky over the airwaves. Let me ask you this, is that a valid excuse? Let's look at the historical development of the car radio. In 1929, William Lear and Elmer Wavering drove their girlfriends to a scenic spot overlooking the Mississippi River in Quincy, Illinois, to admire the sunset. Story has it, one of the women suggested that music would make the evening even more special. Lear and Wavering, both experienced tinkerers of radios. Lear, having served as a radio operator in the U.S. Navy during World War I, found the idea intriguing and started dismantling a home radio to see if they could make it function in a vehicle. However, while driving, listening to the radio was challenging due to the electrical components in cars, such as ignition switches, generators, and spark plugs. These components cause static interference, disrupting radio reception, and making it difficult to enjoy uninterrupted listening while the engine is running. Lear and Wavering methodically identified and eliminated each source of electrical interference until their radio finally functioned properly. Then, they attended a radio convention in Chicago, where they had the opportunity to meet Paul Galvin, the owner of Galvin Manufacturing Corporation. Galvin and his brother had invented the battery eliminator, a device that allowed battery operated radios to function on household AC current. Radio manufacturers began producing AC powered radios as more homes became wired for electricity. Galvin knew he needed to pivot and found his opportunity at the radio convention, where he met Lear and Wavering. Seeing the potential for mass-produced, affordable car radios, he seized the opportunity and created a vast business empire. Galvin's factory became the workspace for Lear and Wavering as they developed their first car radio. After successfully installing it in Galvin's Studebaker, he tried to secure a loan from a local banker by installing a radio in the banker's Packard. Unfortunately, the plan backfired as the Packard caught fire shortly after installation, resulting in no loan. Undeterred, Galvin drove his Studebaker to Atlantic City to showcase the radio at the 1930 Radio Manufacturers Association Convention. Unable to afford a booth, he managed to attract enough attention by cranking up the radio outside the convention hall to secure production orders. The first production model of the radio was named 5 t 71 But its creator, Galvin, decided to come up with a more appealing name. During those times, many companies in the photograph and radio industries used Ola as a suffix for their names. Radiola, Columbiola, and Victrola, some of the most prominent ones. Galvin followed suit and named his radio Motorola, intended for automobile use. However, despite the name change, The radio still encountered issues. You see, when Motorola was released in 1930, it was priced at around $110, which was very steep given that a brand new car could be purchased for $650. The country was also amid the Great Depression, making it even harder for people to afford the radio. Installation was also a problem. Two people would have to work on it for several days. The dashboard had to be dismantled so the receiver and a single speaker could be installed, and the ceiling had to be cut open to accommodate the antenna. These early radios ran on their own battery, not the car battery, so holes had to be cut in the floorboard to accommodate them. The installation manual had eight complete diagrams and 28 pages of instructions. Today, if we adjust for inflation, a radio for a new car would cost approximately $3,000. Selling car radios priced at 20% of a new car's cost during the Great Depression was incredibly challenging. Galvin Manufacturing faced significant losses in 1930 and endured struggles for several years. Despite these challenges, the company began to see a glimmer of hope in 1933 when Ford started offering pre-installed Motorola radios at the factory. A significant boost came in 1934 when Galvin signed a deal with B.F. Goodrich Tire Company to sell and install the radios in its chain of tire stores. At this point, the price of the radio, including installation, had dropped to $55, and the Motorola car radio was finally off and running. In 1947, the company's name was officially changed to Motorola. Throughout this period, Galvin Manufacturing continued exploring new car radio applications. So let's go back to the original premise. With today's technology, can auto manufacturers cite electromagnetic interference as the reason for removing AM radios for cars? Valid? Shout out to Mark Freestead, a listener who inspired this episode. I'm Patrick Ball. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.